Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore on Black on the Air. Nice to be back here in 2018, 2018. Hope everyone had nice holidays and everything and welcoming, welcoming in the new year. First of all, I want to thank everybody for such a great year last year. Um, you know, new to this podcasting thing, man. And uh, that was fun. We had a lot of fun. Glad so many of you enjoyed it and all that stuff. And really looking forward to this year. Really going to have a lot of fun. A lot of um, guests we're planning on, some events. We'll do some more live events uh, this year, too. I know people enjoyed those last year. We have one. In fact, we have one coming up on, I believe it's February 3rd in San Francisco. And um, I'll give you more information on that as we get a little closer. For people who are asking questions about, like, when are you going to be on TV again? And all that kind of stuff. Larry, when are we going to see you? I really appreciate that kind of stuff. So I'll make sure that I'll... I'll try to keep you updated on some of my events, um, the things that I am doing. This month, I will be on Bill Maher's show, uh, Real Time, uh, on his show coming back, which I think is January 19th, whatever that Friday is. So I'll be in his first show of the season, which will be fun. Um, and, and God, you know, who knows what will happen <laughs> in the next two weeks? Things happen so fast. Like if I was on right now, there's a whole, there's so many things we could talk about, but who knows what it'll be by that time. So look for that. That'll be fun. So some of my fans out there that want to see me on TV. And also, if you're in Los Angeles, um, I was honored to be asked to be a featured speaker at the LA Women's March here, which uh, was such a big deal last year. It was amazing <clears throat> the energy that took off in that march last year. And um, how many people uh, it kind of touched and galvanized. So um, I'm so honored to be a part of that. So I'll be speaking, I think it's on the 21st or the 20th, one of those days. It might be the 20th. Don't listen to me. <laughs> it's whatever the Saturday is uh, on that day. Really looking forward to that. Other than that, just starting the new year, trying to slim down a little, as we always do. Anybody out there dieting, let me know. You know, we'll be in it together. It's all about accountability. It's one of the hardest things is to, anytime you try to start a new diet, I feel like the world conspires against you. Everybody wants to try, even if they don't know that they're doing it, they try to uh, sabotage what you're doing. Hey, so what kind of diet you're on? Oh, really? They always say it so they can be judgmental of it and try to undercut you because the forces are out there trying to make you fail. That's how paranoid I am when I, when I start a diet. And it's hard to stay motivated. By the time I start a diet, though, I really don't need motivation. I'm different in this way because at that point, I'm usually so disgusted by how I look. Like, it's the disgust that uh, gets me to diet. Like, I can't even call myself a fat pig because I know that pigs will be offended, you know, at that point. So it's just, it's pure disgust that leads me <laughs> to, wanting to, to wanting to change. So your humble narrator will be... Uh, Trying to lose weight. So I'll keep you guys posted. That'll be my accountability. Maybe I'll have you guys uh, help me out. And I'll do the same for you, okay? So let me know. If you want me to give you a shout-out, I'll do that, you know, and say hang in there, you know, whatever you're doing. Uh, so I'm happy to do that. So anyhow, really good show uh, today. Jeffrey Tubin is uh, – I'm interviewing him from CNN, senior legal analyst. Uh, been a fan of Jeffrey's for a long time. Um, I always find his commentary very good. We have a really good discussion today about some of this stuff. Man, I don't know if you guys got the book uh, Fire and Fury yet, the the Michael Wolf book, which, by the way, people on Twitter, okay, 
I love how people say, Larry Wilma, you look like Michael Wolf. <laughs> you know, people love to tease me with who they think I look like, you know. And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't think I look like him. I think he looks like Dr. Evil, personally. If you re- get out a picture of Dr. Evil and put it next to Michael Wolf, I think that's what he looks like. I haven't read the book yet. I do have it, thanks to my friend Joni. Thank you, Joni. She wanted to make sure I had it. So I'm kind of torn about how I feel about some of this stuff. Um, it just seems a little—I mean, look— I believe almost any of these things that are probably said about Trump in this book. I've heard some of it, of course, on the news. It is a bit tabloidy for me. And Michael Wolf, I don't know, it's a little problematic, some of the way he answers the questions in the interviews. Like, I'm not sure if he's read the whole book sometimes, you know, with the way he answers questions and the way the—there's the, a lot of Colbert would say, a lot of truthiness, I think, in the book. But because I can't stand Trump, of course, that truthiness— is I find very entertaining, you know. But it's gotten to a whole nother level. I think this book now takes our fascination with Trump to another level, which I call, it's like, it's Trump porn is what it is now. And uh, this book is like red tube, you know, for Trump, or, or orange tube, I guess you could call, you know. My friends tell me red tube is some porn site. That's what my friends say. I don't know anything about it, you guys. <laughs> it's like, Larry's a liar. So anyhow, I don't know how to take that, you know. I mean, look, I, I always have these conflicting sides, you know. Yes, I'm a comedian. I like to make fun of things and, you know, uh, these salacious things sound interesting. But I don't want us to take our eyes off the prize of the real shit that's going on, too, by being distracted by things we already know about him, that he's a child, you know. I mean, that's basically what the book is telling us. Who knows if that'll have any effect on people. This week, uh, we had the Golden Globes on Sunday. If you guys saw it, you saw Oprah make that uh, rousing speech. And I love that, man. I love that. Uh, I was very, I have to say, I was very uh, touched by that speech. You know, I'm kind of in that generation where we really saw the cultural difference of people coming coming up and being able to have voice and that type of thing, speaking from a racial point of view, let alone women, Right. But I did think, too, man, I thought Oprah for president, like, I got caught up in it, like, right away, too. And it was interesting to me how fast of a clapback that got on Twitter, like, from people on the left saying, no, 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 Oprah shouldn't run for president. We're just as bad as they are if they are. I'm like, motherfucker, can you calm down? Can we just enjoy this moment for a second? Can I just dream a little bit about Oprah? Can I just enjoy that? Can I just have that fantasy just for a second? Why do you got to clap it down? Yes, I know we shouldn't want celebrity presidents, but, I mean— Shit happens, you know. Maybe that's what we need. I don't know, you know. But we don't have to be so uh, serious about it right away. I mean, for God's sakes, we're just dreaming. Let us dream. That's all I'm saying. Can we have just a little dream? Can we have a dream? I'll have a dream. That's the big thing going right now. My personal opinion is I don't think she's going to run, but you never know. There is this one thing that I thought was very interesting that I wanted to talk about before we get into the interview. And I don't know if you guys saw this. But there was this, uh, you know, um, H&M, the uh, clothing company, uh, they had an ad, I think, I think it was in Europe, for a, a sweatshirt. And the ad had a young black kid on it, a black boy. And the sweatshirt said, coolest monkey in the jungle, right? You know, of course, uh, I can't remember who first treated about it, but I mean, of course, you know, people are going to be upset about that. And, and rightly so. I mean... <laughs> that's pretty fucked up, you know. And to me, that, there's a couple of things. I have a couple of observations about this. Okay, the first one is in 
2018, I seriously don't know how that made it to the actual print stage. Like, I don't know how you don't put Coolest Monkey in the Jungle sweatshirt and a little black kid, and you're looking at that and go, hmm, is that the right color? I th- I think so. Should we go with green? And nobody's looking at the words. You know, how about that font? Is that the right font? Should we go with with uh, serif or should we do Times New Roman? I don't know. Wingdings. Let's go with wingdings. I don't know if that's a font you'd use on a sweatshirt. I'm going with old uh, word processing fonts. But how could nobody see the fact that there's a black kid <laughs> that has a sweatshirt that says coolest monkey in the jungle? So... People are very upset about this. It's going through Twitter right now. And people are talking about it. I have a different opinion about this, too. I believe that we are at the point where we're going to have to— I'm going to ask people to start letting some of this shit go. Okay? There's some racist stuff that is <laughs> we're just going to have to let go because there's too much shit going on that's important right now. And I know, look— it's it's so much fun to go after H&M for Coolest Monkey in the Jungle. I get that. That is a lot of fun. But on the, if you really look at the other hand of this, maybe it wasn't racist. Maybe they are so not racist that they never thought that a boy having a sweatshirt that said Coolest Monkey, even though he's a black kid, that that would be racist. Maybe they're woke in a whole way that we don't know about woke. Maybe they're ignorant. Should we punish them for the fact that they don't know that that's a bad thing? Should we get real mad at it? And what I'm saying is, I'm, but I'm going to go beyond that. I'm not excusing them. I'm not saying school, but I'm saying I want to start a whole thing where, and maybe I, I'll be the judge of it. I don't care. Where I'll allow some racist shit to go just because I don't want us to focus on it. I want us to keep our eyes on the prize with all this Trump shit. Cause this is an important year. You guys, this is 2018. We got some elections coming up. We have to be focused. All right. That's why the Michael Wolf book, I don't want us to get on focus with all that Trump porn stuff. I want us to stay focused on the shit. And who knows, maybe Coolest Monkey in the Jungle is a sweatshirt that is trying to get our eyes off the prize (laughs) so we don't realize what these other animals in the jungle are trying to do, you know, over here on this side. That was a horrible analogy, and I apologize for that. But anyhow, I will be looking at some of the racial stuff that happens this year, and I will let you know whether or not we should get upset about it. But for the time being, I'm saying calm down about Coolest Monkey in the Jungle. Let's just calm down about it. I'm going to give that one an official pass. Okay, that's gone because we have to look at the at the top monkey in the jungle right now. And you know what I'm talking about, or I should say orangutan. Right. See how I brought that back around. All right. That's all I got. Uh, We got Jeffrey Tubin coming up. Welcome to 2018. You guys, this is going to be quite a ride. We'll see you in a second. Welcome back, everybody. I'm very honored, pleased. I've been a fan of this man for a really long time. You guys know how much of a news junkie I am. But he's the senior legal analyst of uh, CNN. I I think he's just one of the greatest legal minds we get the pleasure of seeing on TV all the time. He's a prolific author. His uh, book on the Simpson trial made into a movie I think everybody was talking about last year. The award-winning People versus O.J. Simpson. Glad to have him here on the show, Mr. Jeffrey Tubin. Hey, Jeffrey, how you doing? Hi, Larry. I'm great. Uh, Thanks so much. I know you're so busy. And in today's environment, your head must be exploding all the time with how fast things are happening these days, right? You know, um, I live like uh, like a 20-minute walk from CNN. 
And there have been several occasions when, (laughs) like, they call me and I I say, you know, you have to come in to talk about X. Yeah. And I say to my wife, you know, I'm I'm going in. They have this, like, emergency about X. Yeah. And in the 20 minutes it takes to walk to CNN, like, some other emergency has happened. And and Amy says to me, it's like, well, I thought you were talking about X. Yeah, but that's old. That's, like, 20 (laughs) minutes ago. I know. I don't Uh, think I have ever seen anything— like this, it's a it's a true metaphor for the for kind of the social media component of the age we live in, the kind of our, our the the Twitter world that we live in. That things happen at this kind of speed, right? Well, and 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 a lot of it has to do with. Um, I mean, I I think it, it, it's it, it's the president and Twitter, right? And you know, I think one of the things that we talked about. From the be- you know from the beginning of Trump's presidency, and it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this. Mm-hmm. You know, during the campaign, his Twitter feed was nothing particularly sensational, and there was nothing. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't remember like you know big Twitter explosions during the campaign. Well, his live but, his live appearances were kind of the circus at that point, right? Right, yeah. right. But but. Um, you know, we had this debate at CNN, you know, well, should we cover the tweets? And, mm-hmm. you know, are the tweets news? And, and you know, the answer became obvious that, of course, they are. You know, yeah. anytime the president says something, it, it, it's it's news. And he says all these incredibly intemperate and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, controversial things. So, you know, his Twitter feed has fed the news yeah. so much. And, um you know, it'll be interesting to sort of look back on his presidency mm-hmm. if we make it through his presidency. <laughs> yes. Uh, to, uh, you know, sort of see how the, the you know, the, how the Twitter feed really figured in in terms of how how important it really was. But, you, th- you know, we've certainly decided that the Twitter feed is news. And I think it's the right I think it's the right decision. Well, I think you're right. I think we have no choice, you know, because. There are words from the president of the United States, and and it's interesting to me how it's always treated like the Rosetta Stone. You know, like we're we're never to believe, you know, what the words are. They have to be interpreted by some expert to tell us what he really means all the time. Which is, well, and and you know, uh, w- one of the other sort of conventions that arisen is that you know he is tweeting a to divert attention from fact B. Yes. And I don't believe that. I think he's tweeting A because he believes A. Yes. And and, and I think, you know, uh, what he th- th- this whole uh, industry of what he really means. I mean, I think it's bogus. I think you should just I think he means I think he means what he says. You know, when he says uh-huh. Uma Abedin should be in jail. Uh, you know, something no president has ever said about a private citizen, at least as far as I'm aware, and certainly mm-hmm. in the 20th century. Right. You know, I mean, it, it, that something that, you know, we sort of passed without comment almost. I mean, not mm-hmm. for me, but I mean, the the idea that the president of the United States could, you know, issue a tweet saying, Huma Abedin, jail, exclamation point. <laughs> I think what he means by that is, Humanabedin should be in jail, exclamation point. Yeah. And, and the idea that the president, who's the head of the Department of Justice, head of the FBI, um, you know, says something like that, I, I, I think, you know, we shouldn't lose our capacity for outrage well, about pres- it. And a president has, there's always been a reckoning for presidential speech, as far as 
I can remember. I can't remember a time when the words a president uses um, are so open for dismissal, you know, and seem so readily dismissed, you know. And do you think it's the form itself of Twitter that's changing it? Like, let me ask you this. Do you think he's fundamentally changing what a president is able to do communication-wise by this? I think you have to separate the mode of expression from mm-hmm. the person. I mean, I don't think there is anything particularly special, unique, remarkable about Twitter itself. I mean, you know, Barack Obama tweeted. I mean, there's nothing, you know, I mean, yeah. it, it is not, there, there is nothing. And, and, and fundamentally, I think it's actually good to have unmediated, you know, uncensored, unscrubbed, statements from the president. Sure. I mean, I, you know, one of the complaints that journalists often have about presidents is, you know, everything they say is, you know, sanitized and speech writers. So, so the idea of having a president who tells you what he thinks directly uh, is good. And I don't have a problem with that. And so I don't have a problem with Twitter as, as a vehicle. Mm-hmm. The problem is what he says. Yes, I know. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just the problem is, well, you know, saying that Barack Obama bugged me. Yes. I mean, God, do you even remember he did that? I mean, that whole crazy episode that we sure. spent a month on, um, you know, it, it, saying false stuff, yes. threatening people with jail, you know, talking about witch hunts. I mean, it, that's what the problem is. The problem isn't Twitter. It's the substance of what he says on Twitter. Yes. I kind of put them a little bit more together. Like, um, you know, Roosevelt kind of changed the relationship of radio with the public. I mean, Hoover was on the radio, but it was the Roosevelt fireside chat that, you know, kind of made the connection, I guess, you know, and Trump, like Obama, I can't remember any Obama tweet, you know, they were all antiseptic, you know, or seemed, right. you they know, were, but now, all, and, 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 you know, similarly Kennedy holding live press conferences. Yes. And, um, and using you know, his sense of humor to make the way Kennedy was funny in front of the press, too, you know, and self-deprecating a little bit even. Um, but uh, but with Trump, I think something new has been created where he gets to have this thing that isn't accountable. That's the part that seems new to me because it's not. I mean, all he does is say, no, you're wrong. I didn't mean that. And no, but nothing happens. <laughs> nothing well, happens. Well, you know, I mean, I, 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 I would I would reserve judgment on the fact, you know, on whether nothing or something has happened. I mean, you, yeah. we do have a president who is historically unpopular. I mean, it, it is not as if the country, you know, is like not paying attention at all. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I agree that, you know, if, uh, you know, you know, to play the game, if Hillary Clinton had said X, you know, there would be impeachment proceedings already well along. Um, you know, you know, he, he does get away with, uh, you know, saying outrageous things because he says so many of them that we can't we can't cover all of them. Right. But, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't say that there was no accountability. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the fact is he is unpopular and, and, you know, you do see, you know, Republican congressmen fleeing rather than running uh, for reelection in 2018. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it is not as if there has been no accountability, mm-hmm. but uh, I do think the volume of tweets um, has, I mean, there is a tendency um, either explicitly or implicitly at this point to sort of say, oh, well, that's just him tweeting and that's just, you know, the way he talks. And, and I do think that's too bad, but, but I, 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 you know, cause I do think we should, you know, judge him by the same standards we judge, 
um, other presidents, but but just the the volume of yeah. of eccentricity has really um, contributed to I think a little bit of an you know and it being anesthetized <laughs> yes. to how extreme some of them are. Yes, they're putting uh, they're numbing us before the real surgery comes. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> over the skies of North Korea. Yes. Oh my goodness. Uh, I wanted to ask you some of the of some of the things that are happening right now, especially before. Next week, before they're not happening again, you know. Uh, but this, the whole Trump dossier thing is going in. What is what is the biggest significance of this issue right now? You had Diane Feinstein release the transcripts of the um, what was it the the grand jury? Uh, it, it was the 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 testimony of the testimony of the head of Fusion GPS, right. uh, Glenn Simpson, before the Senate Judiciary Committee, right? Um, it, which was sworn testimony in, in secret, but it, it, it was it was not a, it was not a, in a legal proceeding. It was in front of Congress. Yes, and what is it that we really need to know about that? The most important well, I mean, significance. I, what, what we need to know about the whole Trump dossier, Fusion GPS story, is that it is all simply part of a Republican effort to change the subject Mm -hmm. from the propriety of the president and his campaign's behavior Mm -hmm. to the propriety of the people who are investigating the president. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like Chris Chris, uh, Steele, the the former intelligence official who went off in this investigation, he went because he was hired to do some research. He mm-hmm. did research and brought it back. The The company that hired them was Fusion GPS. They got the research. They found out that some of it was potentially compromising. Mm-hmm. They, they gave it to the FBI, all of which leads me to conclude they did the right thing. And mm-hmm. then the FBI took over the investigation. The idea that, you know, you have Congress, you know, the Republicans in Congress, specifically, um, you know, Lin- Lindsey Graham and Chuck Grassley, you know, saying that that Chris Steele committed some crime. Yeah, it's just madness to me. I mean, it's it's just th- this. It, it, it the, the whole subject is just a distraction. <laughs> and I think you know, if you look at Glenn Simpson's testimony, um, you see that you know he was just doing what researchers do. Yeah, and and still was, was no in effect. There. Still was in effect making a a nine one one call. You know, as they say, as they say. He, he was. He, yeah. he was. Right. And by the way, um, much of what he said mm-hmm. has checked out. Yeah. So anyway, so 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 my take on on the whole sort of steel fusion chapter is that it is it is really a political gesture on the part of the Republicans to distract attention from the real issue, okay. uh, which is the behavior of the Trump campaign. And do you think it contains, like when all the dust settles, do you think anything will actually be found that will, where the president is held accountable for anything? Like, will that, will those dots ever connect? Or will it just be people in his campaign acted uh, improperly? Um, I think if there is going to be, um, some serious accountability towards uh, Trump. It's going to be about obstruction of justice. It will not mm-hmm. be about um, the whole collusion during right. the campaign. You know, I think, um, 
you know, again, you, you know, we, we've repeated, the facts have been repeated so often that they sometimes lose their shock value. Yes. But the president of the United States fired the FBI director because the FBI director was investigating Trump and he wouldn't stop. Right. That's why he was fired. Yes. That to me, um, just by itself, before you get into anything else, uh, is really uh, possibly obstruction of justice. And mm-hmm. when you get to the surrounding circumstances, when you get that this, you know, he had these meetings with Comey where he said, I want loyalty. I mean, it, it, it really is uh, potentially um, obstruction of justice. And, and um, you know, the Mueller people may yet say, look, um, this is something Congress should investigate for uh, as an impeachable offense. That, mm-hmm. in terms of strict accountability towards the president, I think that's where he's at greatest risk. And do you think, even if he made that recommendation, you have a majority, Republican majority in the Congress and in the Senate, I mean, does that just go by the wayside, fall on deaf ears? Or? Exactly. It goes by the wayside. <laughs> so I this mean, is what I know, mean. This uh, is, what's, I mean, this is just, what's frustrating here. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> yes. sorry. Well, but I mean, but, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've been reading a lot about Watergate yeah. and, uh, you know, one of the things that I don't think I had focused on enough mm-hmm. was that, you know, when Nixon was president, both the House and Senate were in Democratic hands. Yep. Now, it was a much less partisan environment in those days than it is today. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. had moderate Republicans like, you know, the Lowell Wikers, the Howard Bakers of the world that, that have really vanished from the Republican Party. Yeah. But the fact that the Democrats controlled the machinery of Congress and could start committees like the Senate Watergate Committee, Sam mm-hmm. Irvin's committee, or the House Judiciary Committee impeachment hearings. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the same token, in, in 1998, you know, when Clinton was president, you had the House of Representatives under Republican yep. control, and, and that's why they, they did impeachment. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, and even then, it was less partisan than it is today. You know, the Republican Party today is so conservative and so much aligned with and afraid of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. They are never going to do um, an impeachment investigation, regardless of Mueller finds. Now, that does not answer the question of what happens if, in November, the Democrats retake the House. Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, certainly seems like a, a reasonable possibility at this point. Um, then I, I have real questions and curiosity about what happens. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they will do an impeachment investigation, mm-hmm. but. It certainly is a possibility, and of course, a lot of it depends on what Mueller actually finds and tells the Congress. Yeah, I have the cynical point of view that a lot of it won't matter because I think I think what has been happening, and and to Trump's, I guess, credit, you know, for lack of a better word, he's attacked his attackers so much, or not even attackers, but people just trying to find the truth in many cases, but partisans as well, you know, that uh, there's been kind of a Trump exhaustion syndrome, you know, that I think a lot of uh, people that aren't as interested as, you know, we are like into these things or people who are following it all the time. Do you, Like, I, th- I think it may get to the point where people think he's actually being attacked, where Trump maybe becomes a sympathetic figure in all of this, especially. And here's why I say this, Jeffrey, because the pre- the biggest thing he has going for him is he has this robust economy by his side, whether he's responsible for it, it's not as irrelevant. President gets credit for that, right? It's hard for the American people, I think, to be mad at the person in charge when things are going well. I do think that, you know, the economy isn't everything. Uh-huh. You know, the, the, um, 
you know, the economy has been good for a while and his popularity is still at rock bottom. I yes. Mean, you know, the- so, so, you know, I think people who don't like Trump think, oh, my God, he's getting away with everything. People mm-hmm. still love him. It's, you know, no, it's not true. I mean, people don't love him. I, I mean, see, you know, look at what happened in, in, in look at the election in Virginia. Look at the election in New Jersey. I'm, look at, I mean, you know. I'm Alabama just going to disagree so- a little bit with this because I don't think you can measure Trump's electoral success with his poll popularity. I don't think those two things are necessarily um, right. go together um, because wow. he— I think he has uh, surpassed like many poll predictions about his ability to succeed, the biggest one being the presidency. But there were many polls during the primaries that didn't predict how he would do and had even opposite predictions, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I think it, the polls have gotten somewhat of a bad rap in uh, in. Well, it may not be the polls. It I could mean, the, be the people, national polls people on, on Hillary up. versus yeah. Trump were dead on exa- accurate. You know, had her winning by three, she won by three. Yeah. I mean, you know, what they didn't show was, you know, Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin. But there weren't many statewide polls there. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, th- this sort of reverse Bradley effect that, mm-hmm. that, you know, people were ashamed to say they were right. voting for Trump, that really didn't actually – I don't think that really was, was true. I think I think the polls – the, the polls are are pretty accurate, and if you look at mm-hmm. the midterm elections that have come so far, and you know it's not a lot of them, you know Democrats have been doing very well by running against Trump. So yes. you know, look, I mean, I don't want to overstate this, and and you know a lot can still change, but the idea that he hasn't paid a price for um, you know the kind of presidency mm-hmm. he's conducted, I, I don't think that's right either. Well, I, I feel that historically, yes, you're absolutely right. Usually, what happens in that first term. Of many presidents, even if they're successful, is the House and Senate can take a beating sometimes. Sure. You know, I mean, Obama had a historic one, right? I mean, it was yeah, terrible. And, and so did so did George W. Bush and, in two thousand six. So did Bush, yeah. and so did and, 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 and so did Obama Clinton. had two. Yes, Obama had two of them. You know, both two thousand um, ten and two thousand fourteen were disastrous for. Obama. And yet he was reelected. You know, and Cl- absolutely, and Clinton had a historic one in '94. You know, with the and was reelected. No, and no, was re-elected, and I agree. Right. I agree that um, if there's a Democratic wave in 2018, mm-hmm. that w- does not mean Trump will not get reelected. Right. I don't. I don't think that you can draw that conclusion at all. But if he, if there's a Democratic wave, it certainly does limit what he can accomplish. Right. Exactly. That I exactly. think, is, and and that's of course highly significant. Yes. But but I, I I completely agree that you know a a midterm wipeout is not necessarily a precursor to losing yes. the presidency two years later. What do you think's going on with the Republicans? Right. I, like I always try to figure out who's more lost right now, the Democrats or the Republicans. I know the Republicans. Their heads must be exploding all the time, too. But it seems like they're starting to huddle around Trump. Like, it seems like they all agreed to send Bannon to the sunken place right now. You know, (laughs) (laughs) they they did. uh, But, you know, I I think they are under no illusion about Mm -hmm. the temperament, personality, character of Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they have this huge opportunity to do what Republicans like to do. I agree. Which is cut taxes. Um, They thought they could, you know, kill off Obamacare. They didn't realize that, you know, having no alternative except 
you know, people dying in the streets yes. was just even for Republicans not <laughs> not not acceptable. You know, That's when, when, you know, particular I mean, it's not subject, hilarious, but you know, a, a, a particular subject of interest to me, and mm-hmm. certainly of interest to Mitch McConnell, is uh, you know getting very conservative judges cons- confirmed. Yeah, you know, for these lifetime appointments. You know, That's absolutely you, right. you only need to look at what they did to Merrick Garland. Yep. Um, to see how much the courts matter, especially the Supreme Court. So they got this extremely conservative Neil Gorsuch confirmed. Yep. And then they, you know, much, much, much more below the radar. Um, they've had lots of circuit court appointments mm-hmm. and district court appointments um, who are young and conservative. And, you know, th- this is not something that, you know, gets a lot of press, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's going to be very important for a long time. And so, this is what what uh, McConnell and and Paul Ryan mean when they say, "Watch what Trump does, not what he says." Mm-hmm. They say, "Like look look at you know look at how we we are able to get rid of all these environmental protections. Look at how we're able to yeah. you know help for profit colleges. Uh, look at how we're able to you know confirm these judges. All of that is happening, and they are you know taking big advantage of that. But you know that's." That's what uh, that's uh, you know, and and so so that uh, that's where I think you're right that they're really rallying around him. Yeah, and it seems like I mean, kind of back to an earlier point, like a lot of these other things kind of are kind of almost working at, um, as distractions. David Brooks had an interesting uh, op-ed the other day about uh, uh, maybe um, a problem with attacking Trump for everything. Like maybe it, it may have a negative effect. This Michael Wolff book that just came out, you know, which um, I kind of joke is kind of like, now it's like Trump porn for Christ's sakes, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, Oh baby, you know? tell me about the 25th yes, amendment. Exactly. Again. Exactly. You know, <laughs> it's like, I'm, that's, but that's, I'm with you, man. But that's the point it's gotten to where, like, the resistance now is reading Trump porn as opposed to, not as opposed to, but it seems like these things that the list that you just made to me is way more significant than Jervanka, you know. Or, right, or right. No, no, it, it is. But, but you know, at the same time, you know, much, much as, and I think, you know, we in the news media are guilty of, uh, looking at the shiny objects in that, that rather than you know issues like the environment and judges and mm-hmm. education, uh, and 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 one area where I have had a particularly uh, you know one area where I have really disagreed with you know our focus in the news media mm-hmm. is the whole issue of like. What's going to happen to Steve Bannon? I know. I mean, who, cares? who cares? I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's like, why is that even an issue? I, I mean, he's agree. Like, he was never elected to anything. No. I mean, like, what? It's like, oh, what's good? What's the future of the relationship between uh, between Bannon and Trump? Who cares? Right. Why don't you keep talking about Amoroso as long as you're talking about Bannon? Nobody cares about <laughs> either right. of them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody what's cares. The future Goodbye. <laughs> right. What's going to yeah, happen God. tonight on CNN? I uh, let you know. Gosh. Yeah. No, I mean that. So, so we do, I think, focus on mm-hmm. personalities to the to 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 the exclusion of issues too much. Yeah, but um, I I think the most significant thing out of the whole Wolf book and some of this stuff, and this is the part that actually concerns me. It's past being funny or all this stuff. Is is if the president actually is mentally incapacitated? You know, like if that actually is a thing. 
You know, what what is your take on that? Do you, do you have a an observation that goes beyond like some of this noise? Um, well, I, I certainly agree that the the most important um, revelation in the book is that the mm-hmm. people who see Trump every day thinks he's unfit for the job. Yes, I, I you know by far I think that's the most important. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, most important revelation in the book. You know, I I do have a little, I have a lot of trouble actually with the armchair psychiatry that goes on (laughs) and, and, you know, including by actual psychiatrists saying, you know, he has this disease or this condition (laughs) or whatever. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't think that's, that's appropriate. And, and I don't think it's necessarily an issue of, uh, mental illness mm-hmm. or, or Alzheimer's or whatever like disease you want to ascribe to it. Sure. The world is full of people who are unfit for the presidency, yep. but don't have mental illness. They just shouldn't be president. I yeah. mean, like George Steinbrenner should not have been president of the United States. I don't think he had a mental illness. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, name name the entertainment executives you have dealt with. Yeah. They are, they are um, uh, you know, I people love... with personality defects, but they're not mentally ill. Right, right. Um, although I don't know, I don't want to speak 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 for you. On yeah, that, you're going to get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I, the, 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 you know, if you just look at at Trump's sort of you know the, the, what they portray as mm-hmm. you know his lack of empathy, his lack of curiosity, the mm-hmm. fact that he doesn't read, the fact that he doesn't have any knowledge of policy. I mean, none of those are like mental illnesses. Yeah. But they are indicative of a person who shouldn't be president. And that what I, that's what I think. The fact that his friends, the people who see him every day, his colleagues, his immediate subordinates think that, I think that's really chilling. Yeah, that's why that press conference, well, not the press conference, but, you know, the televised so-called negotiating session uh, yesterday. That's why that was so fascinating. It's almost we, It's almost like we got to be a fly on the wall in his behavior, you know. Um, it was. And, and, and if you notice, you know— he contradicted himself yes, like all three, the time. four or five yeah. times during the course of one meeting. Oh, it was fantastic. It was so and, and fantastic. And then, you know, yeah. afterwards, he had to send out tweets yes. to explain what 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 he meant. You know, I mean, it really was kind of fascinating. And also yeah. you saw his lack of knowledge of the issues. Yes. Because, you know, one of the, particularly on immigration, you know, I mean, look, first of all, immigration is complicated. And also the issue of, you know, what are we going to do about the dreamers? These 800,000 mm-hmm. young people yes. who've never lived anywhere in the United but in the, they, and like they're, the Democrats are like, let's just deal with the, with the, uh, with the dreamers. And then we'll talk about all the other issues. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> but then Kevin McCarthy, the, the majority leader Republican says, no, no, no. Don't you mean that you have to do it? You can't just do that. And just do the dreamers. You have to do the wall and secure. Oh, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to do it together. I mean, well, well, it, it was completely contradictory. But it was even more. It was even. It was even more interesting uh, from my point of view. Like because Diane Feinstein was the exact language that she used was, uh, "Can we have a clean bill?" And it was obvious he didn't know what the term "clean bill" meant. You know, right. and he kind of agreed with that. And and but then what was so fantastic was when the guy tried to graciously correct him the way you would correct a president is you don't actually correct him. You act like you're correcting that person. Right. Which is what the way that he tried to do it. And and uh, and then the president, because he's so arrogant and stupid. Sorry, I call him signorant. He's both he has that combination of 
stupidity where I don't think he has the ability to learn anything. He's ignorant. He already doesn't know anything. But then he's also arrogant. He acts like that's the best thing in the world, those positions, right? So, <laughs> right? Yes, he's stignagant is what it is. So, But what he does, Jeffrey, was fantastic. He kind of swats that guy down like he's a little fly. So, no, 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 she, she meant that. It's like, no, you stupid ignorant ass. I'm trying to save you right here. Why are well, you saying that? Now, now I, you know, it's just yes. coming back to Remember me how he did that? that he's like, no, yeah, no, no. He, he said, no, no, no. no, no. She, yes. He tried to say, that's right, because he, he tried said, to save him. no, Diane Feinstein means X. Yes. When everything in the, everyone in the room knew yes. that she actually meant why, and that's what and that's what McCarthy was trying to point out to him, but he didn't even get that. He didn't know what clean bill meant. He just right. Yeah, he just meant you well, wash your hands before you sign it or something. I don't know. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I have yeah. no idea. Uh, well, how long have you been at CNN anyway? Have you been two thousand two? Two thousand two. How how do you personally define your role there? Like, what do you from your standpoint, do you try to bring to that to that table when you're on? You know, I think of you know, and and it's kind of evolved over time, mm-hmm. which is which is interesting. You know, it just in the way that cable news has has evolved over time. When I started here, and and I had spent um, six years, like from '96 to 2002 at ABC mm-hmm. as, as their as their legal analyst. But what it has, uh, when I started, I really saw my role as kind of more or less exclusively translating legalese into English, mm-hmm. like saying, you know, what what what's going on here when the Supreme Court rules in a case? Like, what does that mean in real life for real people? And yeah. and in more of a sort of explanatory role, mm-hmm. you know, as cable news has become sort of edgier, even CNN. I mean, CNN obviously is not like MSNBC or Fox, but you know, it, it's certainly gotten more more of a voice. Mm-hmm. And we, as especially those of us who are analysts as opposed to straight news correspondents, you know, have have had the opportunity to, um, you know, put in more opinion. I mm-hmm. mean that that that. So so I've seen that sort of anal- now. I see it more as analyzing it, but explaining you know in pretty direct terms how I see it politically as well. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I really felt like uh, the, the role has evolved somewhat over time. What's the, what's the biggest personal challenge that you have in that role? Because it is changing. It seemed to me like what you're talking about is because the, the hosts at CNN didn't want to appear biased and they would bring people on and all that. But now hosts are, try, are becoming more opinionated and that sort of thing. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Jake, Jake yeah. Tapper and Anderson Cooper oh, yeah, Jake's great. Ex- express themselves yeah. in ways that uh, anchors didn't use to. Yeah. Um, the, um, w- w- well, the biggest challenge, I think, is, you know, to, to remain interesting, mm-hmm. but not, you know, become kind of a political caricature of yeah. yourself. Um, you know, for a long time, or not a long time, but certainly sort of in my early time at CNN, um, you you sort of had, you know, conservative Fox, liberal MSNBC, and boring CNN. <laughs> and that was not a good market positioning. And I think particularly in, in, in the last several years, since Jeff Zucker has been in charge, we've found a, 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 a I, I think, you know, a, a sort of a, more of a sweet spot of you know, being a little, have a little more voice, a little mm-hmm. more opinion, but not being kind of the stereotype 
uh, and and being more trustworthy, uh, perhaps than 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 our competitors. But uh, I mean, but that's I mean, I, I think that wa- that's a line that that um, I have trouble. I mean, it's not, it's not I don't have trouble, but I, I it's I'm careful to walk. Yeah, because many times what what I enjoy about you um, when I see you on is you avoid being in that political hacked in that political hack position, you know, and like you, you're not that type of person who's yelling and screaming their positions. You well, know? you know, I I, you know? I appreciate you saying that, Larry, and I also that's no, true. I, mean, you know? I have a real aver. I mean, I I don't want to be a cable news screamer, and yeah. I don't want to be like from the left or from the right. Well, you know, when we used to have crossfire, yeah. Um, on CNN, they would sometimes ask me to be on, and I never wanted to be on because I never wanted that dynamic, mm-hmm. um, to, to to be part of you know who I who I was. Yeah. And it's funny because there was a space for the what I think was the intelligent. I won't say intelligent type of crossfire. I don't mean to say people weren't intelligent, but, you know, the old McLaughlin group or even William F. Buckley show. You know, there were many shows that had people from different opinions, but it always felt like good, like rigorous discourse, you know, rather than something done for entertainment purposes, you know, where. The, the fighting was for for ratings rather than for <laughs> right and, and, and sometimes um, you know I, I think you know even CNN has sometimes you know this, this sort of fake balance mm-hmm. uh, w- one of the things that I think you know Trump has um, done for cable news and I and I'm, I'm certainly true it's true for CNN is is you know we have been more aggressive in calling out falsehood. Mm-hmm. Um, we we it was really part of the DNA here um, to you know have you know two sides to everything. Mm-hmm. But Trump's falsehoods were so egregious during the campaign. We started using like the word false in Chiron's. You know, mm-hmm. falsely claims to have the largest inauguration mm-hmm. crowd. You know, false. You know, mm-hmm. and and. I think that's that's really positive, and and uh, now the 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 threshold we have not reached, or at least institutionally we haven't reached, and I haven't reached personally, is to talk about lies as opposed to falsehoods. I'm perfectly mm-hmm. comfortable saying Trump said X that was false. Mm-hmm. I don't. I I I have yet to sort of say lie because that suggests a level of intent that I mean it may well be a lie. But I, I feel like I need to be a little more certain before I use a phrase like that. Plus, I think it's—I've uh, always felt that all politicians lie anyway as part of what they do. You know, I used to do a joke, Earl Animac, that George Washington was the only one. You know, asked, his father asked him to chop down churches. He said yes. And then I used to do, like, other politicians chopping down their tree. Just a little look back into Larry's act, you know. But um, <laughs> I ended it with Jesse Jackson. It was really kind of funny back in the day. But— um, I think Trump has a different type of lying, which is why it has an effect on us. Like I always said, Hillary lies like a politician, but Trump lies like a crackhead, you know. <laughs> well, it's compulsive lying and it doesn't it all it isn't always in his favor, even, you know, it's it's to serve his ego all the time, you know, whereas most politicians lie to gain some political advantage, you know. Or you know, to... that, that, there is something there is something to that. I mean, I, I'm I'm doing something where you know it's, it reminds me of something my dad used to say about certain of his friends. 
um, which was that they lie for practice. <laughs> like, you know, you'd ask them what day it is, and they'd say Tuesday. Just, just, to, just you know, they wanted to, they wanted to stay in stay in practice. And so you can uh, pass that polygraph when you're asked. To, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And and um, you know, like I, I there was. I, I happen to be doing research on an area where Trump is asked, has, has he met Putin? And he says, yeah, I met Putin. Yeah. He never met Putin. Yeah. Now, how, how, like, how many people could, get a, could even think of a yeah. lie like that? Yeah, well, part of that is his salesman lie. See, it's not like, yeah, when you say think of, I don't think he thinks of it. I think it's out of his mouth before his brain even knows what happened, you know? Um, well, and it's also the, the egomania. Well, also, the egomania yes. is really, I mean, the whole, the, the you know, calling yourself a genius. <laughs> yes, business. a stable I genius mean, now. Let's be. Stable, right. Yes. Well, you know, and often, I, you know, one of the things that I, I think is a, is sometimes a tell with Trump of, of when he's going to say something false is when he, he says, Believe me. Yes. Believe me, X. <laughs> you can almost always be sure that X is not true. Yeah. Or I, and, I, and believe, and he says it a lot. Believe me. I know. He also um, he does the thing too, where you can tell where when he's giving a speech, you know, he's reading it for the first time when he agrees with the speech. You know. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> he says, that's and, true. and that's when he's <laughs> happening with DACA. So true. That's I agree with that. <laughs> That's a good point I just made. Yes, I agree. It, 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 no, it is. Yeah. He, you know, it, well, the whole subject of, of Trump and reading is is kind of, yeah. you know, w- is a mystery. But I think <laughs> you're right to point out that it applies to his own speeches as well. Yeah, I want to see he him disagree. With, seem, I want to see him disagree he, with one of his own points. Like, and that's well, what he's doing he, taxes. He, he I don't know if I agree be, with that. He can't be bothered to read them in advance, <laughs> yes, exactly. so he's offering edit, editorial commentary yes, as he goes along. Exactly. Like, like. He, like he's reading a bedtime story to us or something, you know, and, and improving it. What's, let me ask you this real quick because we're running out of time. I know you're busy, but what's your take on the whole Oprah thing? You know, she gave that speech at the Golden Globes. It really stirred up with people. Now, she was speaking, of course, about the Me Too movement, which was a big thing this past year, too, and sexual harassment and all these things. And But to a lot of people, it sounded like a political speech, like— Obama's red state, blue state kind of speech thing, you know. Well, what was your take? Do you do you think there was any of that thinking in it? I mean, she's saying that it wasn't, but it was certainly taken that way. Well, I I don't. I, I mean, I in the spirit of not knowing what's in someone's head, yes, I will certainly yes. say I don't right. know what her intent was. Right, However, right. I do think that if she wants to, mm-hmm. she could be a serious candidate for president. I don't have any doubt about that. No, yeah. I don't know if she'd win. I don't know. You know, she'd get the nomination or whatever. But I mean, she starts at a very high level, right? And uh, I think she has a lot of advantages. What I don't, yeah. I don't know that you know, the, you know, I am certainly chastened by the experience mm-hmm. as a journalist of you know being wrong about Donald Trump's chances of winning. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sitting here saying. Uh, that, that, you know, she is going to win or she's not going to win. I mean, I, I, I have a lot of well-earned humility about my ability to predict who's, who's going to be president. Um, but the one thing I do know about running, about president, the only way you can win is to run. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's fine to have people talk about you. And, you know, I think she does have a lot of advantages, but you never know how good a candidate is until that person actually starts running and has to answer questions and deal with the tax and, you know, express opinions on subjects that are way outside 
um, his or her comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she could do it. I mean, she's she's. I mean, I think she could be a candidate. I think she could learn the stuff. I think she's you know starts with huge advantages. But um, <clears throat> but but we'll never know until she tries. I wonder because if... it's a whole different thing yeah. to be a candidate than to be talked about as a candidate. Yeah, like Hillary was always liked a lot more when she wasn't running than when she was. You know, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and and Oprah will be liked. I mean, the the day she de- declares, she, it was it was it, 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 you know people always used to talk about what a great candidate Colin Powell would have been. Yeah, Colin Powell would have plummeted. Or, or certainly declined in popularity if he started identifying as a Republican and talking about, you know, abortion and mm-hmm. gay rights and all those issues that politicians have to talk about. If if you're a celebrity, you don't have to talk about issues you don't want to talk about. If you're running for president, yeah. you start offending people right away. Does the fact of op- of the ex- that there's excitement about this possibility, do you think it exposes how weak our political systems actually are right now? <laughs> I, I, actually not. Uh-huh. You know, I, I don't. And, and, and some people say, you know, does it illustrate the weakness of the democratic field? Yeah. You know, I don't think so. You know, uh-huh. at this stage um, in the 2008 cycle, you know, Barack Obama was a state senator in, in Illinois. Um, we're not. You know, we we are we are a ways we are a ways off, and there is an advantage to not having sort of a pres- presumptive nominee in the way that Hillary was. Mm-hmm. Hillary was a target for three plus years. Yeah. The Republicans got to beat her up every day, uh, and you know that that took a toll. Yeah, uh, the, the fact that we genuinely don't know. Which Democrat or even to be candidates, much less who's going to be the nominee? I think at this point that's more of an advantage than a disadvantage. You know, and the fact that people are interested in Oprah, I don't think that speaks ill of mm-hmm. of Democrats particularly. Sure. I, I think she's a uniquely compelling figure, and she would generate attention no matter who else the other who the other candidates would be. You know, the story that hasn't properly been told and. Maybe you'll be the one to tell it sometime, Jeffrey, and you brought it up very briefly there. But it really, I believe there really was a coordinated attack on Hillary Clinton that happened way before she decided to run. And that Benghazi was kind of a, um, the um, expression of that attack, you know, that in fact, what's his name? Was it Chaffetz who actually kind of agreed that that's what they were doing, was weakening her as a candidate. Absolutely. And, yeah. and you know, all that bogus stuff about the Clinton Foundation. Um, I, uh, yeah. I, I and, and, you know, and I hold myself uh, somewhat responsible for that. I, I think there was a lot of false equivalence mm-hmm. in so much. the uh, 2016 campaign, that every time we said something, you know, pointed out something about Donald Trump, you know, whether it was his, you know, business interests or, you know, grab them by the pussy. You know, mm-hmm. we felt like, oh, we got to like talk about, we got to say something bad about Hillary. And I think it led to a sense of false equivalence mm-hmm. that was misleading. And I regret my role in doing that. Well, America says apology accepted. We'll see. Well, you know, I don't think you're responsible for it. I don't think you need to apologize for anything. Uh, Last thing, though, before we go, uh, of course, you came to prominence nationally through the O.J. Simpson trial, which it's amazing 
the effect that that had on the culture. Many people thought it caused kind of a racial rift. I think it exposed the one that was there. And um, and it's amazing to me the kind of relevance it still has, you know, kind of uh, demonstrated by the success of the movie last year, right? And that— you know, and we're still talking well, about I, it. You know, I wrote, you know, the, the, the OJ case happened in 94, the yeah. trial was 95, my book right. came out in 96. And for years, you know, people had talked to me about, you know, should we do a movie and whatever. And, it, you know, Ryan Murphy, you know, decided to do it. And, you know, it, it the, 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 um, and, and, and American Crime Story comes out in the immediate aftermath of Ferguson and Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And and it showed just how enduring these issues are in yeah. American life. I mean, the, 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 the fact that, uh, I mean, you know, obviously the, the, the screenplay was not my book, mm-hmm. but they, they certainly took the theme, which was the, the um, enduring importance of race, especially in the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. And I wish it weren't so, but I mean, that issue has not gone away. And it just so happened last year in particular, or the year before now, um, it was, uh, it was so much top of mind and it showed how, uh, how real those issues were in LA in the nineties, but also, you know, in St. Louis and South Carolina and Chicago, all the places where, where it's back today. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey, you were the one, is this true that you were the one that kind of brought the racial element into the case? But it was, had, yeah. Well, I, I was the one who wrote the first piece about Mark Furman yeah. and talking about it. And, and, and it was the piece where um, the, the, the defense said, we, we're going to claim that he planted the glove mm-hmm. uh, because, because he's a racist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I... I some people criticized me for that, for being, you know, like a tool of the defense team. I thought it was like it was a scoop and I was right and they used it and it worked. And and so, you know, I don't shoot the messenger. Um, <laughs> Do you but, think he did uh, it? No, did... I, I mean, and, and also, you know, L.A. was a very good place to raise a blame the cops defense for a largely African-American jury. Because the cops had been so awful to African Americans yeah. for so long, I know it was horrible. And 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 Furman represented a perfect target, you know, in the land of Rodney King, you know, uh-huh. in the land of Chief Gates, you know, where Johnny Cochran had devoted much of his career to exposing. Um, now, it, it it was my opinion that like OJ was the world's least deserving beneficiary of that, <laughs> but. Yeah. That's the way that's the way it unfolded. Do you think we'll be talking about this Trump moment 25 years from now, the way we're still talking about the OJ trial? Uh, Absolutely. Do you think I mean, this is this is an unbelievable moment in American history Mm -hmm. to have a president behaving this different. From the way other presidents have behaved. I mean, people are going to be puzzling over this. People are not going to believe what went on. <laughs> what were they, they are thinking? Not, I mean, no, exactly. I'm yeah. serious. I mean, they're going to look at these tweets and look, are you kidding? I know. The president did this? Oh, absolutely. People, uh, it's, it's, we're in a big, big moment. And last question, will we be here 25 years from now? <laughs> Thank you, Jeffrey. You don't have to answer Alrighty, the pause. Answers it. Thank you so much for being here. We'll keep watching you on CNN. All right, Larry. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Jeffrey Tubin, everybody. 